for World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello and welcome to another episode of the World of Work podcast. We are here today again for another show. We're going to be talking a little bit about meetings, but a little bit more broadly focusing still in this series, looking at some of the challenges that managers might face. So Jane, in a little bit more detail, what are we going to be covering today? Hello, everyone. So this is episode two of this new series of podcasts that we're doing where James and I talk a little bit about management challenge or a situation that a manager might face or something they want to do and talk a little bit about our reflections on why it matters, how to approach it, what we think about it. And today we are talking all about addressing poor behaviors in team meetings. We're going to start by exploring a little bit of the context. We're going to create a particular situation and where we've seen this before and a little bit of our experiences. And then we're going to share a little bit about our thoughts on how a manager might work their way through this situation. And then as always, we'll wrap up with some reflections to check out. Nice stuff. I am looking forward to it. So a little bit more detail about our context for today. So put yourself in this space. Imagine this is you. You've got in your team some sort of repeated poor behavior in relation to meetings that you've not previously addressed. So you've got a competent team. You're delivering pretty well. Everything is good as a team broadly. However, there's one person in the team who said it kind of consistently has some problematic behaviors in the internal meetings. God, and they do things that are frustrating and irritating. And these can vary. They could be sort of silent and moody and taking their ball home and not playing in the meeting. They could talk over others, withdraw, disengage. They could hog the conversation, turn up late, take conversations totally off piece somewhere else. They could shut down others really quickly. They could do things like agree in the meeting and then disagree outside of a meeting. Or as soon as you start a meeting, they could want to close it right away. So there are all these sort of strange behaviors that are going on that are unhelpful in the meetings. But interestingly, on a one-to-one basis, they're really good. Nobody's got any challenges with them and their behaviors on a one-to-one basis are fine. It's just in meetings that this stuff seems to happen. And this has been going on fairly consistently for a couple of years. And basically, you've never addressed it, right? It's just something that you've not done. But recently, You've been to meetings elsewhere in the organization that have been really great and you felt that they're really good and you can see a better way to do things. And now you've decided it is the time, it is the moment, and you want to try and improve the experience of meetings and this individual's behaviors in the team. So that's the context. Jen, have you been there? Have you had somebody like this? What, what I have been there. I have been that person. I have managed that person. I have managed the person who manages that person. I've seen it loads. Like. And I generally see it as quite often situations where it hasn't been that problematic in the sense that it's happened, but it's not really bothered anyone to start with. And then it becomes when the team is under a period of stress or when they all step up because we're doing bigger pieces of work or when there's more pressure or scrutiny on them, then it becomes more problematic, more frustration. And it doesn't mean it didn't annoy them before. It just means it didn't really impact the output, the outcome, or hold other people back. But when times teams start getting stretched and time is precious, then meetings become much more important to run well, and particularly within teams, need to be much more effective. And therefore, it becomes much more frustrating, I think, in my experience for other people when that shows up. And 
I think it's really interesting because it has shown up for different reasons in different people, whether it's me or someone else. And so every time it's shown up, the starting of the way I've approached it has been different, but the end process has been the same in terms of how I've managed it. And so I think it's a really interesting thing because I think this happens quite a lot. I know it doesn't happen everywhere, but I think it happens quite a lot where good people just get into either bad habits or use team meetings not in the way that they are maybe best placed to be the recipient of certain ways of working. That's interesting. And I think you're going to sort of lead on a little bit of this to some extent in this conversation. I think I've maybe had a bit less experience of it than you. I've certainly seen aspects of this and I'm very much happy to hold my hand up to have been this person at different points in time in different ways. But I think maybe I've seen it a little bit lesser or I guess a lot in my experience where I've seen situations where somebody is difficult in a meeting context. I've often seen that those individuals are or are or can be difficult in that one-to-one space, space as well. So, so I think that's a little something that I'd reflect on. And more broadly, when it comes to can we do things that improve the meeting experience across a broader team, I think that's a huge area that I've definitely spoken to a lot of different clients about and reflected on and helped people change their meeting cult, if you will. So that broad, how do we improve meetings more widely is something that I think really is a huge, huge area of development and a really important space for a lot of teams. I think you're right. I'm just going to mention, I think yeah, yeah. one of the things that we've seen a little bit like we talked in last week's episode, we talked about coaching cultures. And I think a little bit like that, when I've seen it in clients, it hasn't been the reason we've been there, but I've been in team meetings because I've been invited in as a consultant. And you notice things, I think, that managers sometimes don't notice, right? You notice that you hear from the same people the whole way through the meeting, or you notice that someone looks distracted, but isn't shut down or corrected or isn't like, doesn't seem to be worried about that being perceived as problematic. And so I I guess that I just wanted to mention that because sometimes, like in the context you described in the scenario, it takes going somewhere else or someone else in the room to go, this kind of isn't okay, or this probably isn't helping you. And you might want to do something about it. And sometimes that that in itself can be quite uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Someone else pointing it out. Yeah, totally. Well, let's build on that, right? I mean, you said it it might not be helping you. It's not doing well. What are some of the like downside to this, right? If you have this situation going on in your team, what's the impact? Why do you care? There's the existential response to that, which is deep down, it should be, if you're quite a self-aware manager, it's probably an unpleasant feeling of not doing the best you can for everybody in that room every single time you sit in the meeting and it happens. Because I think most managers that I speak to about this, particularly when I'm doing one-to-one coaching and working with supporting leaders, is that they're a little bit embarrassed that they haven't dealt with it already. And they're a little bit embarrassed if it gets called out that they either haven't seen it or they have seen it and they have kind of let it ride. So I think there's a kind of bigger thing of not feeling bad about yourself as a manager. But then I think in a very practical sense, there's fundamentally three reasons why I say, it's the first thing I say to people, like if you've got to, you've got to do something now, no matter how long you've left it. One is you're shifting norms. So by not acting, you are acting and other people in that team are perceiving that is acceptable behavior because they have not seen anything to do with it. So you're shifting the norms of what's okay in the team, irrespective of what working practices you have. Team meetings, look, we all know the data about how much people hate bad meetings or ineffective meetings or time-wasting meetings or meetings where they're not clear where they're meant to be there. And that meetings are like, this frustration. So I think it's one of the major contributors to not having effective meetings is if everyone isn't aligned on ways of working and agreed on it. 
and able to feel confident that's how people are going to show up. I know like every so often someone has a bad day. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about consistently doing the same thing or similar. So that's the second reason. And then from my perspective, it just, there is a sheer time wasting element to it where you're not getting the most out of the whole team, right? So there is time that everyone is spending. If that person is disengaged, then there is a chance we're missing out on ideas, critique, expectancy. If that person is difficult, then people are taking up emotional time and effort thinking about whether it's their fault, what their involvement is, or getting frustrated. So it's wasting really precious resources that people are already frustrated about. So yeah, so contributing to frustrating scenarios, which doesn't help people, less effective. And then as a manager, a reminder that you're probably not doing what you should be doing. That sounds dreadful. What a horrible situation to be in. (laughs) I'm teasing a bit, but oh gosh. (laughs) I knew I was going to come in hard on this topic. And it's only because I guess this is where, and in all sort of transparency to the audience, I'm very conscious that I didn't manage this well. And it's the most common thing I hear from early career managers, that they're not dealing with this stuff. And therefore, I'm really conscious that it, (laughs) and you do get this, I would imagine as well in one-to-one situations where managers don't feel like they're managing the thing they should be, irrespective of what it is, that tends to take a big burden on them. And as you're speaking, I'm kind of thinking about this as team meetings are one of the places where we all come together as a social group within the workplace. And it's, you let off by talking about norms. And this is where we shape the culture. And it's where individuals as managers can role model behaviors. They can focus their attention on different things. They can actively reinforce, they passively reinforce, they can negatively reinforce, and they can shape what it is to be a member of this team to some extent. And that can be an intimidating thing for people to do if they're early in their role. There can be uncertainty around it, but it's such formative, formative space for what that team is like. But to some extent, it shapes much more widely than the meetings itself, the expectations and behaviors and ways of working in the team. So I think it is a kind of a big space. And I totally agree with all the points that, that you talked about. Another thing that I think is really there is the sort of stress and the social demands and burdens that poor meetings can place on people. People can loathe them, right? People can dread them coming up in the calendar. They can feel anxious about them. They can permeate the rest of a week, even if they're not there. They can be worried about how do they prepare, what it's going to be like, will there be conflict, will somebody be moody? And all that stuff can just seep into the rest of the work as well, which I think is hard. And of course, as managers, if we've got these situations going on, we can struggle a bit ourselves. So why aren't we addressing them? What's holding us back as managers, maybe from facing into these things or addressing these poor behaviors from individuals in our meetings? I think depending on the manager... There can be lots of things. There can be the very practical thing of time, space, the quality of the relationship you have with the person, But and there's loads of other stuff. But I guess if you're asking, what do I most commonly hear and see and and have experienced? So Jane, what do you most commonly hear and see and have experienced? So I think for me, knowing I haven't called it out before, and I hear that a lot from other managers, I let it ride and now it's got really bad and it's a massive problem because people are mentioning it in other one-to-ones. Oh, have you noticed Sarah's not really present in the meeting or she just seems a bit distracted or is it or they'll do it a different way like is that personal right but definitely there's a position where you kind of feel like I should have picked this up sooner and now I haven't I've implicitly implied it's okay and I don't know how to bring this conversation up now and I'm scared of having it and I think that comes from a place of not being confident about how to navigate that conversation and where the responsibility of upholding those social norms and what's acceptable. But I also think quite often it's because they haven't done all the prep work. So you and I talk a lot about establishing ways of working in every group dynamic, right? And we talk a lot about, even if it's only like a two minute conversation at the beginning of a meeting, who's chair, what does that mean? 
or who's responsible for facilitating the conversation? What does that mean? Whose roles? What do we expect of you? And what do you want from us? And I think quite often that hasn't been done and therefore they they haven't got anything to hold that person to. I also think calling out behaviors is a really tricky thing because people have always got reasons, excuses, sometimes very valid excuses. But I think the earlier you have that conversation, the easier it is to navigate that. So I think there's a confidence to addressing it. I think there's a confidence that you've got standards to hold against. And I think there's a guilt, a some sense of embarrassment that they haven't called it out before. And therefore, they're not able to exactly figure out how they're going to suddenly call it out differently this time. When you were speaking at the beginning, I was thinking about that G word there, that guilt. And we don't like to look at the stuff that we don't do well, right? I mean, I want to put my head in a bag when I think about all the things that I've done dreadfully, right? It's just not a nice place to be. So it's easy to kind of park that stuff and not pay attention to it. Another thing that I think can happen with some of this stuff is that sort of idea of a boiled frog, right? Like it kind of starts off as a little thing and then it just goes and goes and you don't notice that changing of the water around you. But before too long, it really is like a nasty space to be. It's not very nice. But without the perspective of what things are really like and what alternatives can be, it can be hard to really notice that some of these things are issues that we should prioritize and look to improve in our teams. So I think that's very much something that can happen. And if we think about what gets better if we can address some of these things, I think it really is the sort of corollary or the inverse to the problems that it causes. So in my experience, and hopefully yours as well, when we've worked with managers to improve team meetings or improve behaviors in them, what we tend to see is that we get the sort of better culture within the meetings, better ways of working within those, that sort of spillover of culture into the other parts of the team as well, the improvement of relationships within the team, better flows of information and communication within the team, and more productivity, more sort of positivity, better experience for us as managers. Really, better communications is something that really stands out for me. Better contribution, ideas, better benefits from actual coming together to work on things and then collaborate in meetings, be they sort of team meetings or other sort of collaboration-based meetings as well. So it really feels like this is something if we get it right, it can just pay real, real dividends or bring real benefits to the wider team. Is that your experience as well? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You, there's a couple of things in there. One is quite often where I've seen this crop up is because someone the, lead, the manager hasn't done anything. And then eventually someone's got frustrated in the meeting and there's been a confrontation of some form. And the problem you're then faced with as a manager, if you haven't dealt with it before that, is you've now got two people who have acted in a way that isn't in the norms of the social meeting, of the social bond that you've all agreed. And maybe they've shouted or maybe they've got frustrated and been sort of in some ways hurtful to that person. And then suddenly you're in a place where you're like, you're having to take sides, even though you know that the person who's frustrated is it's a long time coming. And so avoiding that and knowing and seeing that and avoiding those. And basically what happens is another member of the group who is not you has to shoulder that responsibility of enforcing the norms. And that's not fair, right? And that's going to make the guilt worse. That's the one thing to tell everyone. You don't do something, it's going to end up in a lot both place. But I also think the other thing I was just going to say is the people who run meetings really well live in my memory and they are hugely aspirational in organizations. So there's one person in particular that I worked with who was excellent. I mean, just brilliant. And meetings were enjoyable, focused, they moved quickly, but created space. We were really clear on what the role was. They didn't rush us out of the room. I mean, they were famed through the organization. People were like, A, he was always getting asked to chair other people's meetings, which is a sure sign, right? Oh, we should have him on the group and then he can chair it. But also people wanted to be in those meetings because they had the right balance of focusing on learning, success, movement, there was an expectation and a really good accountability of what people were doing outside the meetings and team meetings, but also it was just good balance, right? 
But it also called out behaviors in a really kind, anchored in what had been previously agreed way. And people got called out all the time. Like pretty much every meeting, someone was getting called out for something. But in a really gentle reminder, none of us are perfect. We all do have distractions. We all do have things that capture us sometimes. And it just felt like, I guess the way I would describe it is a really solid hand on the tiller of a boat. Like it didn't feel jerky when someone's driving a car. I've moved from boats to cars because maybe it's more relatable. But when you're driving a car and when you learn, someone's learning to drive and they're a little bit jerky and you're a little bit uncertain, it felt like he was steering all the time. And I tried to learn a lot from that because I remember the experience of wanting to work on his work projects just because I liked his meetings. So there's a big personal career benefit, I think, from it. So, yeah, I think that's really helpful. So thank you for sort of sharing that. And I think when we, as we're about to start to talk about some of the things that we can do to sort of address and change the situation, I think that point about chairing is really a great one to bear in mind. And you've had a little bit more, I guess, sort of experience of some of this than, than I have. But before we get into that, if we think about some of the questions that we might ask ourselves if, in this situation, how can we do some of that prep work ourselves as managers if we're facing into this? And I've got a couple of thoughts of some of the things that, that we might be able to do. In many of these circumstances where as managers we're looking to make things better, I think it's worth sort of stepping back and asking what does good look like? We know that it's easy to anchor in on kind of perfection and thinking that getting to perfect is where we want to get to. But I think having a little bit of clarity on what good enough looks like in this situation, how much change do we need to make? What is good enough in, in this situation is really helpful. And I think that can take a little bit of pressure off of us. And I think a couple of other questions that, that sort of link into that. One is, what happens if you don't do anything? So like, what does good look like? But also, if you didn't do anything, what, where's the trajectory taking you? Where would you go if you did not, nothing? How does it affect other people if, if you did that? I think would be worth reflecting on. Sometimes helping us understand this impact of inaction can be a really helpful thing. And I guess the last thing on my list of things I think it would be good to ask yourself if you're in this situation is how aware do you think this individual is of their behaviors and the impacts that they're having? And I think that'll help you get a little bit of a sense of framing of, to some extent, a little bit of that sort of root causiness of some of this, if you will, if we can use that phrase. So those are some of the things I think I'd be opening up conversations with managers in this situation about to get them to reflect and think a little bit about where they are. Is there anything else you get people to think about? I think what behaviors do you see elsewhere in this person is really helpful, even if they're not showing up in the same way. And I think what you talked about, like, what does good look like? But also what is the shared understanding in this room of what good looks like and what the meeting's for? And how confident am I that everyone understands that first? So for me, I think one of the things I've seen in particular is when we have moved delivery contexts in a team. So where we have moved from a prep stage of events, for example, to a delivery stage, meetings change and they change for the better. So there is a very different, fast paced, they almost take on a huddle stroke stand up approach, but they're a full team meeting for longer because there is a, we're moving out of an innovation stage into a delivery stage. And what I've seen sometimes is people bring those habits back into a different purposed meeting. And I think I've seen that as well with people who work in functions that have that dual effect. So for example, client managers, account managers who might have one attitude or behavior in with clients and they might be much more, I don't know, effusive and praiseworthy and less critical, for example. Because one of the, I mean, we've talked predominantly about bad problematic behaviors, but I have had people also who just don't criticize anyone in meetings at all, ever. And don't ever critique any of the content that they're being shared with. And I find that 
at certainly at small senior levels, really problematic. But they've slipped into that because potentially they're in sales and that is quite often far more the way they are going to approach things. So I think understanding their wider context, their experiences, and whether it's habitual, like they've just picked up bad habits, whether it's a lack of knowing what good looks like themselves, really helps you ask understanding what is understood by everyone else in that room and having an honest reflection of when was it most recently that your team had a conversation about what a good team meeting looks like is always a good question. Yeah, that's a lovely question. Cool. So I think there's some helpful things in there to get that thinking going about facing into some of this. And if we think about actually doing it, right? So we've, again, we've explored why this comes about, what some of the problems are, what some of the benefits of fixing it are, some ways you might start the journey of facing into this by reflecting on things yourself. And if you're at the stage where you're like, you know what, I'm going to take some action, I'm going to look to improve this, and you're going to step in to make some changes to try and improve this situation. In my view, I was thinking about this when you posed this question earlier, and I kind of feel like there are a couple of options. It feels like there are a couple of different ways you can do it. So, so for me, I was kind of breaking it down into two little bits in my mind, and I'm sure there are more, but I thought there are two ways to address this that, that I'd consider. One would be developing the individual, so exploring things, having conversations, doing whatever the approach is, but helping them grow or develop or change their behavior, something like that, would be one path to a good outcome here. And I thought another path to a good outcome would be potentially to develop the meetings and and look to shape what a meeting is in the team. Does it seem fair to you that that both of those would be valid approaches? You wouldn't necessarily need to do one and not the other. You could do both, obviously, and they overlap a little bit. But does that seem like a helpful way to think about some of this? I would go as far to say as I'm not sure I've ever seen a situation where both of those things haven't reap some benefits. Like, as you say, you don't have to do both, but I definitely have always seen opportunities in both to help a team move forward. And that means that I think what that means is that even if you don't have the relationship yet with that person that you feel able to address them, or maybe, maybe they're in your team meeting, but actually they're seconded or like reporting to someone else or something like that, or it's not your space. I think there's still things you can feel like you can do. But similarly, if the team meeting is actually good enough for now, and it's a singular problem, I think you can address it with the individual. I really like that framing because I think it gives people options, but also it shares responsibility. So that there is, just like we help as managers, everybody perform their best, we also can help create structures, processes, and approaches in team meetings that help people to align their behavior with what is better for the team. So I guess if we're thinking a little bit about those, and they really do interconnect, right? I guess if you help somebody improve their behaviors, it'll help team meetings. If you improve your team meetings more broadly. It'll help potentially a disruptive or difficult individual learn through others what good behavior is or or put in boundaries within meetings and guide rails and structures that make it hard for them to behave in a disruptive way. So, So these things are pretty connected. If we were to start maybe with thinking about developing the meetings themselves. I had a couple of things that I sort of scribbled down as thoughts on this. And we touched on some of them earlier. I mean, if we're going to look to improve team meetings more broadly, one of the things I think is really helpful to do is to do a little bit of this kind of contracting. And you touched on this earlier, having this agreement of what a good team meeting is. And I think you asked a question in what can people kind of ask themselves at the start of this process, which was, when was the last time we spoke about team meetings? When was the last time we had a conversation about what a team meeting is for us? And I think having conversations like that, exploring the expected behaviors in a team meeting is brilliant. And I think you can do things like say to people for meeting contracting, what behaviors would you ask of others to help you have this good meeting and have that as a conversation? You could ask people what behaviors do they think they should offer to the group that would lead to good team meetings. So so I think that's helpful. I think you can start to bring in things like appreciative inquiry and frame questions in a really positive way, exploring what makes a great team meeting? When was the last time you were in a great team meeting and why? How do great team meetings make you feel? 
those types of questions can help people really do this or get them to think about other meetings they've been to that have been great and say, what made it great? What were the behaviors? What were the outcomes? And I think the last thing that for me really stands out in here that, that I want to touch on a little bit is about something that in different times I've called sort of terms of reference. It's not a great phrase, but what is a sort of term of reference for a meeting? And there it's things like, what is the role of a chair? What is good chairing like? What do you expect of a chair? What do you expect of a participant? What are good participant behaviors? What are the sort of agreements that participants will stick to? What are the behaviors that are expected? And even within terms of reference, you can have things like conversations like, how should we give feedback to each other if we're not behaving in line with what we've agreed is good ways of working in this team meeting? So I think there's some great stuff in there, as well as things like trying to rotate the chairs in meetings as well. Because I think if you give people the chance to play all the different roles in team meetings, they start to appreciate what it's really like when other people are behaving unhelpfully. So if somebody never chairs, and they're only a participant, they'll have one experience of a meeting. If they then are chair for a while, maybe they'll perceive the role that participants play in a different way and change their own roles as a participant. So those are some of the bits that I think could be helpful for thinking about that developing the meeting piece. Have you got anything to build on that? Yeah, I think that's all really helpful. And I think I was just, one of the things I was reflecting on is that I'm seeing more and more day-long team meetings because people are working remotely and they're sort of treating team meetings as a whole day of various different purposes. So there might be an innovation and thinking and problem solving section. There might be a checking in and sharing progress section, things like that. And so one of the things I just wanted to call out was when you have a longer meeting, you can have differing behavior expectations. So you just have to be able to articulate them. So the example I would give is I used to work on a team that was fully remote and we used to have whole days together. And the deal was that there were sections of the day where you could come and go from the room, go to the bathroom, because it was a part of a longer process, right? So someone was doing, I don't know, maybe the whole team were doing updates and we all had the documents. Then in that period, while someone's delivering, as long as you could do it discreetly, you could leave the room. If you'd pre-agreed, there was like certain topics that was delivery for the team that day. You might go and take a phone call very quickly or you might go to the bathroom or you might pay a parent and have your phone on and need to take a call and all of that. And then there were the sessions that were like, okay, we need everyone really in deep work together on this. So if you can just guys can just do whatever you do need in this break to come back and for this period, be absolutely immersed in this conversation we're going to have. And I think that was really helpful. And it also, that team were really good when they had people coming into that meeting those people, it wasn't a, oh, do you want to stay for the rest of the agenda? Which is a really common thing. Oh, and it's a false positive, right? People think they're being welcoming by saying that and it's lovely, but actually it might not be appropriate for the meeting. So putting them at the end of the day instead and saying, do you want to go for a drink afterwards is a much better way of doing that because it disrupts what's going on. And maybe there are, maybe you were only going to do big thinking after that and they can stay and that's great. But I think that's really important. I guess for me, the bit about how do you feedback about when behaviors aren't in line is quite detailed. I think it depends if you are like, is it different for the way the manager does it for everyone else? Is the manager taking a lead on it? Is it done in the room if it's small, but turn that side? What is okay? And I think largely that has to be about how comfortable the team is and confident. And for me, that relates to what is set as normal in the team. So one of the things I find really helpful for me when I'm in meetings is an acknowledgement that People are imperfect and sometimes they do. And if you're going into a team, we will call you out on that. And one of the things I really like, this is my favorite tip. I worked in one team once for a little while and the rule was, if you are distracted or not engaged, you have to leave. And there is no judgment if you leave that room. 
because of whatever, but you take yourself away, you do what needs to do. You do not disrupt by being disengaged or looking at your phone or whatever. You leave because you're not contributing and you're not taking on information. So that's not helpful. And you can come back at any point. But the idea is actually just normalize people leaving for a couple of minutes or you know, taking a moment, getting a fresh air, going and filling a coffee, coming back and feeling rerouted. And I think that's been really helpful because I think people have very different time attention spans. And it was interesting. I thought it'd be really disruptive. And it really wasn't. It was like the opposite because it was a highly engaged group of people. And then sometimes it was almost, I don't know if you've ever seen fishbowl facilitation where someone steps in and steps out. Yeah, it was yeah, a little bit like that. Out. And so I was really shocked because for me, I was like, oh, that sounds like the most disruptive thing you could do. But actually the normalization of people coming and going was like, it doesn't disrupt the conversation at all because actually it's on you to own the behavior. So I really like that. Yeah, that's nice. I think the introduction of some of these different ways and norms in meetings is really helpful. And you, you spoke a little bit earlier as well about kind of almost the importance of sort of a facilitated approach to some of this leading, which I think is helpful. And I think helping people develop chairing skills as well as the structures and some of those things I think is really helpful. So you can shape the norms, you can shape the sort of agenda points, if you will, but you can also bring in that sort of facilitated design to sessions and you can say, okay, well, for a meeting, how can we try and make sure that a meeting gives everybody a chance to contribute? How do we make sure that we create a share of voice for people that's good? How do we, as a chair, invite the right people in and make sure that they know that their contributions are welcome and make sure that we've got that sort of explicitly done so that it's okay to quiet some quiet and some of the louder voices if they might be, I'm speaking too much, to bring in some of the quieter voices. And I think we can do that through different types of activities, through a little bit of individual working in some meetings and giving people space to reflect, which can be helpful for the different types of people there are. And I guess the last little bit for me from some of the meetings is trying to make sure we get the right people in the room. And quite often there's a bit of FOMO of meetings. People fear missing out in those meetings. But generally, a lot of meetings are not right for everybody or not helpful or not interesting. And if you get people who aren't interested and it's not a good use of their time, then they probably shouldn't be there because they'll not be being those active participants that you spoke about. So I think that's really interesting. We started to talk there a little bit about aspects that relate to individuals. So we talk a little bit there about sort of individual differences and preferences and things like that. And people are different. So if we flip back and think about that, the other route to trying to improve some of this, so this is the conversation we've just had is about how do we improve some of the meetings themselves. So if we flip back and think about helping to develop a person, how might you go about focusing on that person if you think that you're doing all the good stuff from a meeting perspective already? I think you cannot be running the perfect meeting and it's still okay to expect good behaviors. So I absolutely think you can, if you want to crack them up a different way, you can absolutely approach the meeting thing. But I want to be really clear. As a manager of team meetings, you absolutely have a right to call out behavior, even if the meeting isn't perfect, right? I really want to be clear about that. And I guess there's lots of ways to support and develop that person. But I just want to talk a little bit about how you actually might call out behavior to help that person understand. So let's assume that there is a lower level of awareness to start with of that person, because I think they might realize they've got bad habits, but not realize how problematic they are. And so I just want to talk through a little bit how I might approach that in, or how I do approach it really. So the first time I see it after, so let's say someone's on their phone, totally disengaged with anything that doesn't directly involve them, right? Which I see quite a lot and doesn't tend to show up in other places because they don't tend to be in meetings where they're not involved in other places. So if someone's doing that, I will generally take quite a long approach to it. It's a long game, right, for me, helping people do it, but it needs to be immediate. So the idea is the first time that I see it after I've decided to call it out, even if maybe I haven't called it out before, 
I will draw their attention to it after the meeting in a really impromptu way. After the meeting, I will be like, and I will assume good intent. So I always, for the first three or four step times, I call it out, assume good intent. Are you all right? You seemed really distracted and on your phone quite a lot. I'm just checking in because it's not the kind of thing I expect from you. Now, that may be a half truth because I've seen it before, but it's still true in the sense I don't expect that behavior and I don't want that behavior. But I'm assuming good intent and that there's something taking their attention. But most importantly, I'm putting an anchor down, right? This behavior is not what I want to see in a meeting and it, it has been noticed. Now, depending on the way the person responds, the person might say, oh, yeah, I have real problems concentrating in meetings. And they're like, oh, can we talk about what we can do to help you do that? And then you move on to the development stage. But they might also say, like they commonly do, oh, yeah, it was just I hadn't really realized that anyone noticed and I didn't realize it was that problem, much of a problem. Okay, well, just wanted to check in. If nothing's hopefully you'll feel more able to be engaged and there won't be, there won't be so much in the, problem in the future. Second time it happens, you call it out again in the same way afterwards and you say, hey, I couldn't help but notice we've seen you were on your phone again. Is there something that we can do to support you to be better engaged in meetings? Because it's really not okay to have different expectations of everyone else than you. And I'd love to have a chat about it. And then I think those are both very impromptu and in the moment, right? But the third time it happens, it's like you're clearly struggling to engage in meetings or you're clearly struggling to manage your voice or whatever it is. I'd really like to spend 10 minutes or so talking about this at a time that's convenient. And you're moving it to a more formal appointment. They're kind of turning up, knowing what it's about. They've come prepped either with a defense, which is most likely, or with a plan, which is even nicer. And then you're able to move into that development stage. And it's still under the basis of good intent at that stage. And it's only when they refuse to engage in the development of themselves to improve that or to make adjustments that you can move from, I'm assuming you want to be better and you're failing to, you're not putting the effort in. And I think that divorce of intent from what's happening is a really helpful way, if you haven't picked it up before, to minimize this sort of emotional sort of friction point of that conversation. So I just wanted to mention that because I think that's a really helpful way into the development. I think it's very hard to get straight into development when people are still defensive. I think that's lovely. I think that sort of graduated stepped approach, taking people along on that journey before moving it towards that more formal conversation, if you will, I think it's really helpful. So so I think that's really useful advice for people. If in a situation like this, you sort of progressed with that and somebody maybe said that they did want to develop and be a little bit better, is there anything that you'd sort of follow up on if you felt that they did have a buy-in, but were really kind of struggling or their intentions were good, but they just kept sort of slipping off of focus? I'm going to talk about what worked for me and it was imperfect, right? So one is, I think understanding how self-aware someone is and opening that conversation of what uh -huh. is it you find difficult? Why does it keep happening? Are there triggers? How do you feel when it happens? And really like helping fill out that information between the two of you. Yeah, that's sort of like really, coaching really questions, reflective yeah, questions. Yeah, loads of coaching. Lo yeah, yeah, so yeah. if you haven't listened to last week's episode, loads of coaching questions about helping someone to sort of open up their mind into why it might be happening and leaving space between chats about it to trigger to do it. Using a feedback model can be really helpful in helping them think about what help they want. So we use a couple. One of the things that I think is really important when you're coaching, using coaching models is being clear with people what you're expecting in terms of return as a manager, right? Like we're going to have this conversation and I am hoping that I'm not worried about what's gone before, but I would love to see progress in eradicating this 
behavior. But I also think understanding their preferences might help you as a manager. So if it turns out it's always in responses to certain people in the meeting, I think all of those things can be helpful to you as a manager because you'll know the context. But I guess the biggest thing for me is offering options and a sort of non-time limited response. So when I used to find it incredibly frustrating when people didn't speak up in meetings and I used to be quite targeted, not when I was a manager. So I'd be in the meeting, other people wouldn't engage and I would kind of take it upon myself to try and engage them, which was actually really problematic for the person managing the meeting, right? It's just not helpful because then it just becomes quite friction based. And I sat down and the person that was managing me at the time was like, okay, what do you want me to do? What do you think might help? And I said, honestly, can you kick me under the table every time I start? I kid you not, he sat next to me in every meeting for the next three months. And I would get like a nudge. And it became not even a nudge, right? It became like a cross on a piece of paper that he was in front of. And he was like, I said, because in the moment, I don't notice it. And then suddenly I'm halfway through doing it and I want to stop and it's too late. So for me, that was massive. Like having a pal in there, who yeah. was like, oh my God, I saw you stop from doing it. And I'm so pleased. It was amazing. So a real like collaborative approach on it was really helpful. And then I think the other thing was realistic expectations, right? Was I perfect? No. Did I never yeah. do it again? Absolutely did. Did I do it so much less that my behavior was markedly noticeable to other people? Yeah. And I think the difference was I kind of had it in my head that I had to stop it every single time. And every single time I didn't stop, it was a complete and utter abject failure. What he made me realize was there were loads of meetings that I went to. I didn't do that, actually. It was just that I felt like in a team meeting, I think I took too far. We all have a right to criticize and open and all of that. And he was like, no, they're not ready for that. But also you can see it makes them uncomfortable yeah. and you're not responding to that. And I, so I think that buddying up system giving me the autonomy to talk about what I wanted and what would help mm -hmm. and then helping me celebrate little ways privately. Yeah, and then the other yeah, thing yeah. I will say is about halfway through the process, I told the rest of the team, I said, yeah. I'm trying to be better at this and I know it's not perfect. And as soon as I did that, all the weight lifted because yeah, suddenly everybody was like, Jane, literally in meetings would be like, let Dave just take a minute and maybe we'll pick that up afterwards. That's great. I love a little piece in there about what good enough is, right? Like we, we talk about what is good, but what is good enough? And if we hold ourselves accountable to that 100% pass rate in life, then we'll never succeed. So it's about working out what's good enough in that moment. And as long as we're progressing, moving in a certain way, that, that can be really helpful. So that's lovely. And thank you for sharing some of that individual experience here. And we touched a little bit on earlier the fact that people have different preferences and people have some of their individual differences and some types of activities and meetings work better for some people than others and all that kind of stuff. It's something I don't know that we've really got time to delve into hugely, but I think we definitely need to touch on and explore and signpost more is individual difference and sort of neurodiversity. And we work with clients and we work with clients who in some instances have team members who have ADHD and some who are on the autism spectrum and, and all these different types of diverse profiles appear within our teams. Have you got any sort of initial thoughts, any starter thoughts on so, neurodiversity? Yeah. So I'm going to mention just two things because I was in a meeting where I was correctly criticized for not being aware enough at a balance. And it was a, it was a good critique, like it was a helpful yeah. critique. So I want to mention this. So whether it's a preference or whether it's neurodiversity it might be different for different people, but there is definitely different activities, different lengths of meetings, different things that will work for different people, right? And particularly that if someone is aware of their own preferences, stroke, 
neurodiversity, and I'm not suggesting a neurodiversity is a preference. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if there are things that work better for you individually and you're aware of them, please take responsibility to share that with people who are convening the meetings because most people who convene meetings want to be better and particularly your team manager should. I think if you as a manager are aware that someone's neurodiverse, talk to them about what works and what doesn't work in the meetings is really powerful. But I would also say a really balanced approach to meetings is helpful generally. So in the meeting that I was particularly talking about, I had done lots and lots of engaging activities in groups, but through written word. So they were collaborating on phrases and sentences and stuff like that. And for someone who's dyslexic, that's massively problematic, right? For someone who has certain types of ADHD or certain profiles of ADHD, that is massively problematic because they're having to concentrate on one thing sat in one place and it's not involving moving and stuff like that for a whole day. And for someone who's on certain types of autism spectrums, that would also be massively problematic because they're being forced to engage and collaborate with groups of people constantly without having space and time to reflect. So I think generally trying to get balance means that even if someone is not working in the ways that suit them or doesn't account for their particular, particularly in a group where you've got mixed diversities or people who are struggling with certain types of activities and individual difference, I think if you can keep short and balanced and mixed as an approach, you will learn about what works for your team. And remember, we're talking about team meetings. So you're going to get to know these people and you're going to see what works and what doesn't. One of my favorite things I've that has worked really well for a neurodiverse team has been voting systems of sections of meetings. So you go out the meeting and you say, not the topic, but in the way that it was facilitated, you get to vote on your favorite section of the meeting. Right. And it's like, it's nothing more than a tick on the agenda that gets chucked back at the, I mean, I think they do it online now. They do it like they've got the shared agenda online and then you get just to put star on the agenda point you most enjoyed participating in. And the manager can build great knowledge about that. Right. Without anyone having to have very complicated, deep and meaningful conversations about balance. But I would definitely say that people are much more aware of when their neurodiversity particularly shows up in meetings or creates challenges for them or for the situation or for when they don't feel fully engaged and involved. And I say this as someone who like has massive problems in meetings in my own sort of in the way that my brain works and how it suits me. So I've kind of navigated it myself. But I definitely think getting familiar with what people enjoy versus what they tolerate in team meetings allows you to create a really good balance. Well, thank you for touching on that. I think it's a really important aspect to bear in mind. And we don't have a full episode to focus on it, but it's great to bring it into the conversation. I think we're kind of getting out of time. So I was just going to reflect a little bit on some of the sort of takeaways, my thoughts as we've gone through this. And I've scribbled down a few things that have struck me or sort of bits that I feel that I've learned a little bit in this conversation, which as we've said before, is part of a purpose of this, right? We want to kick stuff around and learn and reflect. And a couple of bits that stand out for me are that I really think sort of understanding the current state is really helpful in all of this. So, so we talked about having different ways to address this context of this challenge of a disruptive individual in the meeting. And I think that sort of message of listening first or understanding the current state before taking action is really helpful. And that in this instance could be understanding what are your meetings like now? How's it going? Like doing some of that thinking piece there, as well as trying to understand the individual in there. Uh, sort of framing and where they are going into a situation is really important. So let's step back and understand and listen and learn a little bit before taking action. So maybe it's come out for me. At the same time, though, I think your message early on about just because you've not addressed it before doesn't mean you should keep putting it off. Now is the only moment that we ever have, right? It's always now. If you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it to some extent. So think about it and start that process and take some of that action. Give it a go and be kind to yourself along the way, I think is something else I'd say. 
And then my last kind of reflection in this is that more broadly, if we've got a varied team, it's going to be hard to make team meetings that are perfect for everyone, right? I mean, we might not get that. But what we can do is get team meetings that have elements that are great for different people, varied, and create that sort of fair, balanced approach to team meetings that seems to work for more people. And I think striving for that feels like a good thing for me. And it feels like something that we should think about as managers is how do we create those experiences that are good for a variety of people in our team. And I guess those are my sort of learning checkouts for today. What about you? So I think my reflections around this, it's really tricky for me in the sense that the biggest thing that will always stay with me is how much it changes someone's perception of you when you're good at calling this out. I just think of the people I know who've been good at this and done this well to me or when I've done it well to others. And the person who has been exhibiting the behaviors has always been long-term grateful. Maybe not in the moment, but the relationship that I have had, whether they've been calling me out, whether I've been calling them out and helping and supporting them to to change that, the relationship has been seismically different long-term in a good way. And therefore, in some senses, I feel like if a manager only does one thing, this is what they should be doing because at the very least, you should be helping your team work, collaborate together. But also the other thing I was thinking about was as the world is changing and more people are working hybrid and remote, the norms of meeting together will be less. And I think that creates different challenges and opportunities around addressing some of these things that maybe haven't been addressed. But also I wondered I guess it's less of a learning and more of a reflection. I wonder how behavior will change in team meetings and whether people's behavior will be less of the things we I've seen in the past, like being on your phone, being distracted, being unengaged, and more people not necessarily knowing how they want to be around physically around each other or feeling more closed off. And I think certainly the one thing we haven't mentioned that I think when we were talking about like what does good look like and what can you do that's better to help this I think one of the things that managers are going to have to do in two meetings is create more space for connection and protect that time and I think that's going to be hard because there's going to be even more stretch on getting stuff done so I guess what I'm learning from this conversation in particular is those opportunities to call it out is going to be like even more few and far between in person and I think remotely calling it out is the reality is different jumping on a team's call just as the meeting closes and you don't want to say it in front of people. So you don't want to say, oh, Dave, can you stay behind? That's not good on a team meeting. That's never good, is it, right? So do you just literally call them back on teams instantly? Do you message? And I think what you do is you privately message them, right? I think what you do is in the meeting, you privately message and say, hey, could we jump on a call for just two ticks? I'd just like to have a quick chat. And I think if you normalize that, then you allow that behavior to be addressed remotely and people get used to that happening for most of them because I think everyone has a bad day and if you call it out every single time in a nice way people stop people start seeing it as a I'm checking you're all right and you're in a good place for this meeting and stop seeing it as a I'm trying to correct you and I think that normalization is helpful yeah nice and it's great to bring up a sort of hybrid remote side of things there as well I think that's pretty much us. What's the rest of the day got for you, Jane? How are you facing into it? What do you got? I think up? I'm going to go back and review every meeting I've got in the next few weeks <laughs> and think yes, about how I'm going to yeah, do yeah. it differently. No, in all seriousness, what am I doing today? I'm going to go for a walk and take breaks. I've been sitting here for a while this morning. I have got a mystery call this afternoon. Ooh. So we have, as I, those of you who know, you can book a call with us if you're interested in something that we do, our client work, and it's on our website. And every so often someone books who I don't know. It's pretty rare. Like normally it's like, an ex-client coming back or 
it's someone who listens and to, comes to our seminars wants to ask a question. So I'm totally used to that. But occasionally it's someone I have no idea who they are. And that's, that's the case this afternoon. So it's, it's like a, a mystery. blind date. You've got a blind date, Jane. How I got you? a blind work date, yeah. Blind work date. Lovely. Oh, that sounds good. You'll have to let me know how that goes. For myself, I've got a little bit of admin keeping stuff going. But also, you mentioned the free seminars. We do a free seminar at the end of each month, basically, normally the last Friday of a month for about an hour. And I'm going to spend a bit of time refreshing what we've got coming up this month. But they're all on Eventbrite if people want to check them out. They can check them out via our website. So that's what I'll be doing. Great to chat to you. I think it's just time to wrap that up. Who knew there was so much to chat about for meetings? There's loads. We could have kept going. All right. Well, let's leave it there. So great to chat to you. That's it from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 